Well, friends, today is Father's Day, which means it is time to reflect and recognize the positive contributions that dads have had on our lives. Unfortunately, though, not all of us have been blessed with exemplary fathers. One particularly deplorable Minnesota father is now facing felony child abuse charges after allegations came to light this last week that he rubbed irritants in the eyes of his two-month-old daughter and then tried to blame it on his three-year-old son. In an online article that appeared just this week, the writer of this article, Benjamin Smith, relayed the horrific true story of this despicable dad who deserves, in my opinion, to go to jail. Last week, 31-year-old Sean Foltz of Moorhead, Minnesota, was charged with neglect of a child, malicious punishment of a child, and two counts of third-degree assault. The criminal complaint against Mr. Foltz said that he rubbed hot sauce and cayenne pepper in his daughter's eyes, blocked her airway until she turned blue, hit her with a wooden spoon, sprayed hot water in her face, snapped her with a towel, and threw firecrackers at her. Police became aware of Mr. Foltz's alleged abuse after the child's mother brought her to a nearby emergency room. Officers noticed bruises over both of the infant's eyes, red marks, and other bruises on her back and shoulders. When questioned, the mother tried to cover it. She said that the injuries occurred while the children were in the care of their father, but it was the result of a three-year-old brother hitting his sister with a toy gun. Well, according to local radio station KFGO there in Minnesota, Mr. Foltz later admitted under strong questioning that he was the one, in fact, who did these injuries. He said he was frustrated with the babies crying. And he would actually think of ways to harm her while he was at work. The abuse occurred from April 10th of this year to May 30th, which was nearly the entirety of this child's whole life. Mr. Foltz is being held in the Clay County Jail for $100,000 bail. Family, I don't know how you feel when you hear a story like that, but a story like that makes my blood boil. What a despicable disgrace of a father this man is. No child, no child deserves to have a father like this. Instead of giving his tiny infant daughter what she really needed, which was love and care and compassion and patience, he was so consumed with his own selfishness and his own comfort that all he could think about was devious ways to injure her. Here was a man who had been given such tremendous privileges. What an opportunity he has as a father. And he is ruining it all by his attitudes and by his actions. Family, we're going to take our Bibles this morning and we're opening to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament chapter 2. And this morning, friends, you and I are going to meet another man who was also failing miserably as a father. This man's name was Eli. And even though he was actually a servant of the Lord, this man's attitudes and this man's actions were ruining his family. It was causing irreparable damage 
to his own home. Family, as we open God's word today, we're going to discover that while Eli was a decent enough man, he was a totally ineffective parent in the eyes of God. In fact, we're going to discover that Eli's dreadful choices as a father actually led to the downfall of his entire family. So friends, as we look at God's word today here in 1 Samuel 2, this is a message, friends, that isn't only for fathers. This is a message for all parents. All grandparents can take away something from this incredible text in 1 Samuel 2. Today we're going to look, family, at God's word, and we're going to look at Eli's four fatal flaws. Four fatal flaws. And I hope that you and I will learn from them so that we can avoid them. So that you and I can be the kinds of fathers and especially the kinds of parents that would gain the approval of God. So what were these flaws that we'll consider? Four fatal flaws that essentially destroyed Eli's family. What were they? Here's the first fatal flaw. Number one, he failed to administer appropriate discipline. Number one, he failed to administer appropriate discipline. Now, I hope you're hearing with me now in 1 Samuel 2. We're going to read from verse 12 down to verse 17. Then we're going to skip a section, and we'll go down to verse 22 from there. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, picking it up here in verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, that priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh look in his hand while the meat was boiling. They would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did, that is the sons of Eli, those sons did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest. He will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would answer him, No. But you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Verse 17, Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Skip over to verse 22 now, same chapter. Verse 22, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he, Eli, said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it's not a good report I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. Now, friends, as we read the scriptures here, we discover that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were corrupt, worthless men. These men were wicked, and the scriptures told us plainly they did not have a personal relationship with the Lord God. They did not know the Lord personally by their own experience. Now, let this soak in. Here were these two young men... Their father was the high priest over all Israel. They were his assistants. They were his associate pastors, so to speak. 
They were his helpers in the ministry, and yet they were doing here some things that were abominable to the national worship of Israel. Christian friends, dads and moms, there's a solemn reminder here for you and I this morning that just because you have a relationship with God doesn't guarantee that your kids will. Here was a dad who was in the ministry. His kids were even actively serving with him, but his kids were absolute frauds. There's a lesson we should learn from that, parents. Now, what were the sins of these wicked sons? The scripture says there was at least three, three sins here going on, specifically. The first one, these sons, the assistant priests, were coming and taking more of the sacrificial meats than they were supposed to. They were taking the best cuts of the meat for themselves instead of allowing those cuts of meat to be used in sacrificial worship as the Lord had already prescribed under the book of Leviticus. That's the first sin. Secondly, they were sending in their servants to come and get the meat raw before it had even been offered on the altar by fire as God had commanded. And then in verse 22, as we read, a third sin, we find these two vile sons are having sexual relationships, illicit sex with women who are serving in and around and among the tabernacle. You think about it for a second, that is what the Canaanites were known for worshiping false gods and prostitution involved with pagan worship. That's what the Canaanites did. Israel was not to be doing that, yet that is exactly what these two wicked sons were doing. They were involved in immoral, vile, wicked behavior. Despicable. And how does their dad respond? Look at verses 23 and 24. What Eli does here, friends, is really nothing more than a half-hearted re reproof. This half-hearted reproof. One, one, more than one Bible scholar that I read pointed out that, that Eli's little lecture here to his boys, it was not even the equivalent of a slap on the wrist. Here were his two sons making a mockery of God's worship. They were, they were abusing the priesthood, and yet Eli fails to discipline them. You know what, friends? Sadly, the same kinds of things happen today, even in many Christian homes. Too many fathers today, too many Christian fathers today, are so focused upon building their careers, building a large home, focusing on their work, their career, the office, so many fathers fail to remember that their number one responsibility is to be a leader at home, to be a leader of the family, to be the leader when it comes to discipline. How many times have you seen fathers who so quickly just pass the role of discipline off to their wives? The kids start to get a little loud, a little annoying, and the husband says, Honey, can't you deal with those kids? Many fathers want to pass the discipline off to their wives. Or worse yet, the discipline that the dad does undertake is so impotent. It's so weak that it isn't even working. You know, family, I remember back to my high school days, there were some students in my class who decided to go to Ocean City, Maryland for a weekend, a little weekend getaway. Well, that weekend those students that were in my class got arrested 
by the Ocean City cops for underage drinking. So here they were, three hours from home, and this one particular guy that I knew and uh, played basketball with this guy, he was on a number of teams with me, his father drove three hours all the way down to Ocean City to the Ocean City Police Department and bailed him out of jail and brought him home and then acted like nothing had ever happened. And that student showed back up in school the next week and he was laughing about the whole thing. And he's talked about how him and his dad laughed about it, how he had broken the law and got arrested and went to jail. And it was a big laugh all the way home from Ocean City. Family, listen. Fathers, we've got to get serious about discipline. We need to have some leadership in our homes for the sake of righteousness. We need to remember we have a God-given duty to bring leadership in our homes, and that also relates to discipline. We can't always let our wives do the dirty work. We can't just give our kids a little slap on the wrist or a little lecture, and if we do those kinds of things, we are failing. We are failing as fathers. Look in your bulletin this morning in your notes there. I gave you a great scripture. I like the amplified version, the way it puts this, from Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod of discipline hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines diligently and punishes him early. Look in your notes. I also gave you Hebrews 12, verse 7, which tells us that God is a good disciplinarian. God disciplines as a good father. Hebrews 12, 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Do you see the connection there? Even the Bible assumes that good fathers show discipline. Dads, you and I need to make sure that we are upholding some standards of godliness in our homes we need to defend and uphold and protect godly Christian living in our families. Look, it's no doubt we are all sinners, our children are sinners, and human depravity is often going to show its face. But when it does, we must have enough courage to do something. When discipline is called for, fathers, we must be there to bring that discipline. We must love our kids enough and love God enough to bring discipline when it's appropriate. I love how the old country preacher used to say it like this. Discipline is just like art. You've got to draw a line somewhere. Fathers, if we're going to be God-pleasing dads, then we need to draw some lines. Let's draw the lines where God does. Let's use the scriptures and use discipline when it's necessary. Now, here's a second fatal flaw. We're looking at four fatal flaws this morning that ruined Eli's family. We just looked at the first flaw. Here's the second one. Number two, he scorned his honored position before God. Number two, he scorned his honored position before God. Let's look at verse 27 and verse 28 of our text. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me. 
And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Christians, Eli's two sons were poisoning the national worship of Israel. They were corrupting the people's offerings to God. They were sleeping around with the tabernacle's female servants. And that was bad enough. Hophni and Phinehas were, were doing some really corrupt things here. But family, I want you to see this. The Lord God is actually angrier at Eli because Eli was unwilling to deal with his sons. He was the chief religious officer in Israel. He was ultimately the one responsible for the corruption and the sin that was going on here in Shiloh. Now the word Shiloh in Hebrew literally means place of rest. But Eli, by his inaction, by his unwillingness to confront, he had turned Shiloh, a place of rest, into a place of immorality. So look at verse 27. God sends a messenger. God sends this unknown prophet. We don't know who he was. We don't know his name. But he came to speak the message of the Lord. He confronts Eli for his indifference, for his unwillingness to discipline his sons. And notice how the man presents the case to Eli in verse 27 and 28. What does he do? He reminds Eli of the exalted high position that Eli occupies. The prophet reminds Eli that it was the household of Aaron that was chosen to be the priesthood. Eli was in the lineage of the house of Levi, or, or the house of Aaron, excuse me, the house of Aaron. It was the descendants of Aaron who were chosen, set apart, special, in order to be the priesthood. When we study the Scriptures family, this man, Eli, oh, it's okay. When I cry like that, I just eat my Reese's cup and life is always better. Family, this messenger, he comes to Eli and he says, listen, you are abusing this esteemed privilege that God has given you. This was a special privilege that was given only to the house of Aaron. Eli was in that line of descendants. This tremendous privilege. Think about what Eli got to do for his job. He was the high priest over all Israel. How incredibly awesome is that? You are the primary leader of worship. Above you is God and below you is a nation. Wow, let that soak in. He got to work in the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. He got to wear a special robe signifying his office. He was the one that would work with all of the sacrifices of the worshipers. He went into the holy place to offer up the incense to God. All of his needs were provided for. He didn't have to do any other job except be the high priest. And the people were responsible to provide for all of his clothes and food and shelter. But yet, because he was unwilling to deal with his sinful sons, this messenger of God comes and says, Eli, you are scorning your esteemed position. You are bringing disgrace 
on the highest office of the land, you are dishonoring the very God you have been called to serve. You know, Christian dads, I think sometimes we forget the high calling that's ours in fatherhood. We forget what a privilege, what an esteemed honor it is to be a father. Sometimes we have to stop and we have to remember that being a father is not a right. It's a privilege. You don't just get to be a father. There are many men across the world who dream of being a father. They wish they could be a father, but for whatever reason, they're not able to. To be a father is not a right. It is a privilege. It is something that is granted to a man. It is one of the most incredible blessings that can ever come to a man. I would say it's probably number three on the list. Number one is coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Number two is to become one flesh with your spouse. And number three is to bring biological children into this world. This is an incredible blessing, and the Bible says as much. Look in your notes. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is what? What's it say there? A reward. A reward. Happy is the man who has the full quiver. Dads, your office as a father is very esteemed. It's something that was given to you as a gift. It's not earned. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. It's not deserved. It was given to you. You were permitted to become a father by the gracious hand of Almighty God. I would remind you, those kids that you say are yours are not yours. They're not even your kids. They're on loan to you. Because they don't belong to you, they belong to God. And that's what the scripture says. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. So they aren't even your kids. They belong to God. Listen, Christian dad. By the very kindness of God, you were permitted to become a father or a grandfather, a great-grandfather, stepfather. You've got these incredible blessings that have been given to you. Don't make the mistake of scorning your position. That's what Eli did. He scorned his esteemed privilege. He took it all for granted. He didn't, he didn't consider the worth of what he had. So I want to remind you today, friend, fatherhood is one of the greatest honors that God ever bestows on a man. Make sure you don't ever hold it lightly. Take it serious. Now, here's the third flaw, number three. Number three, he erred on the side of parental indulgence. Number three, Eli's third mistake, he erred on the side of parental indulgence. Verse 29, the messenger is still speaking here. He's God's messenger. He's the man of God. He says, thus says the Lord, verse 29, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? You know, family, I try to use my imagination. I try to put myself here. I try to put myself in Eli's shoes. 
if I was Eli and I was being confronted by the messenger of God about my behavior, how would I feel about this? Would my face be flushed? Would I be embarrassed? Would my ears be burning with redness and shame? Would my stomach begin to get upset? Would I start to be bothered? Here was Eli, he's the highest religious officer in Israel. He is being reprimanded. He's being scolded by a prophet who's giving God's assessment of the situation. God is disgusted with Eli. God is outraged with Eli. He is held in contempt, this high privilege, this high office. But notice verse 29, God says this also through the prophet, why do you kick at my sacrifice? Why do you kick at it? These two wicked sons were coming in, they were indulging whatever they wanted, taking the meats, whatever looked good to them, they just helped themselves. They did whatever they wanted, took as much as they pleased, whenever they pleased. I almost think about pirates. That's what these two sons were like, pirates. They just came in and just plundered. I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. You can't stop me. You try to stop me, I'm going to use force to get what I want. That's what, these, that's what these sons were, pirating, ruining God's sacrifices. They were like soldiers coming in and plundering a city. And Eli totally indulged them and let them do it. He sat back. He did nothing. While these sons satisfied their every sinful desire, instead of erring on the side of discipline, Eli made the horrific mistake of erring on the side of indulgence. He just let go of the reins and just let things happen. And what happened? The disgracing of God's worship. The disgracing of God's offerings. This was such a huge mistake. And as you read through 2 Samuel, you see the awful price that Eli and his sons will ultimately pay for this mistake. But you know what, Christian friends, it's so sad. There's a similar mistake that's often made today by many parents today, and in, sadly many Christian parents today. Maybe you know even some Christian parents who just don't ever want to be the heavy. They don't want to be the heavy. They don't want to be the one that's holding the line, holding people accountable, holding the standards, being the disciplinarian, dropping the hammer when the line is violated. Instead, today, what we have is the swinging of the pendulum. Now we have parents who just indulge because they just want to be their kid's best friend. They can't imagine that even for a moment that they wouldn't be liked by their child. And so they indulge their children constantly. Some parents are so indulgent, they just let their kids rule the roost. They let the kids do whatever they want to do. And in, and in some cases, it's so tragic. Not only are the kids partaking in illegal or illicit activities, now we're seeing it more and more that the parents are joining them in the illicit or illegal activities. Family, just picture this. Picture this in your mind's eye. A teenage girl is sitting on her, on her bed. She's in her bedroom and she's talking with her mom about life and hopes and dreams and the daughter reaches down and clinks glasses with mom 
as they talk about life and drink some hard liquor. How about a boy? How about a teenage boy who bonds with his father by smoking pot together? You think I'm making this up? This is real life. There was, an, there was a column in USA Today where Donna Linewald wrote that one of the significant factors in dealing with teenage addicts today is not only that parents are allowing their teenagers to get involved with drugs, but that the parents are even joining them and teaching them how to do them. One survey that was done of nearly 600 teenagers, 600 teenagers in multiple states, New York, Texas, Florida, California, 600 teens who are in drug treatment centers. They did a survey of these teenagers. 20% of them said they have shared alcohol or drugs with their parents. And upwards of 5 to 10% of them say that they were actually introduced to those things by their parents. Dads and moms, let me give you a wake-up call here today. I'll just be real honest with you, okay? I was a youth pastor for six and a half years. Your children do not want you to be their best friend. They already have some best friends, and you're not it. You shouldn't be their best friend. Your children do not need you to be their best friend. They need you to be the parent. We need to put out the call today again and again to these parents who keep erring on the side of indulgence. They are making one of the biggest parenting mistakes that can ever be made. You can't be an indulgent parent who wants your kid to always love you 24-7 and have your kid and you to be best buddies. It's not going to happen. And that's a terrible mistake if you attempt to make it happen. You know, family, there's an old saying about parenting that's been circulating for many, many years. It's a priceless piece of wisdom that you should memorize. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your brain. Sink it into the deepest part of your soul. You need this piece of wisdom. Let it come back and inform you and teach you. It goes like this. What parents allow in moderation, children excuse to excess. What parents allow in moderation, children excuse to excess. Christian friends, you think about that. When you indulge your children in those little sins, those little sins of moderation, they grow up believing that it's okay. They grow up believing that you're okay with it. And they will eventually excuse it to a fault. Family, I can tell you that many, many times in my earliest years as a youth pastor, I had a number of exasperated parents come to me who were at their wit's end with their 14-year-old, 15-year-old, their 16-year-old. They came to me and they said, Pastor Ryan, I'm ready to have a nervous breakdown because of my son or daughter. They're doing this, they're doing that, they're sleeping around, they're doing drugs, they're drinking, they've been arrested already. And I've, I've lost the handle here. you got, you got to help me. Help me get this kid back under control. And then I start to ask some questions and I find out what's going on in the background and almost, almost 70% of the time, 
I start to hear about an indulgent parent. An indulgent parent who would just let the kid kind of just coast along and, and don't really bring any real discipline or instruction. They would not really enforce any kind of rules or standards, no discipline, just lots of free reign. And now all of a sudden, the kid gets to 14, 15, or 16. And all of a sudden, now the kid is, is running free. And they're out of control, and they're getting into all kinds of sins. And now they're, they're freaking out, and they're at their ropes, they're at the end of their rope, and they say, Pastor Ryan, you got to help me. i got to get this kid back under control. It's too late. It's too late. If you aren't teaching discipline and godliness, if you're not winning when the kid is four and five and six, you're not going to win when they get to be 14, 15, and 16. Dads and moms, I want to challenge you this morning. If you're going to make a mistake, if you're going to mess it up, if you're going to be wrong, err on the side of discipline. Err on the side of discipline rather than erring on the side of indulgence. Err on the side that will protect your kids from self-destruction. Protect them. Err on the side of keeping them in the path that will protect them from life-ruining sins. Proverbs 22.6 tells us when we train our kids correctly, the probabilities increase. The probabilities increase that they'll continue to walk with God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's not an ironclad promise, but it is a good probability. If you train your kids right, the probabilities increase that in later life they will continue to follow that path of righteousness that you've modeled for them. I like Proverbs 23, 24 also. That's in your notes. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he, look at this, he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Fathers, if you want to have rejoicing in your old age, if you don't want to lay awake at night wondering, is my son or daughter throwing their life away? Are they out there doing illegal drugs? Are they out there doing something that's destroying themselves? If you want to have a, a peaceful night's sleep as you age, teach your kids now to follow the Lord. Avoid this major mistake that Eli made. His continued indulgence of his son's sins brought him every kind of hardship, every kind of shame and grief, and ultimately their own untimely deaths. Now, we have looked at three flaws, haven't we? Three flaws that ruined this family where Eli was falling short as a spiritual leader and as a father. But here's the fourth flaw. Number four, he preferred family harmony over obedience to God. Number four, he preferred family harmony over obedience to God. Look at verse 29. Again, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I've commanded in my dwelling place? And look at this next. This is devastating. Devastating. And honor your son's more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Here's the final reason where Eli failed, why the prophet came. Eli chose to honor his sons more than God. Eli preferred to keep his sons happy rather than seeking the happiness and obedience of God. 
Instead of confronting the problem and pleasing God, he was more concerned about keeping peace with his sons. Listen, Eli was a moral man. He was a decent enough guy, but this was his character flaw. He was so afraid of confrontation, he backed down. He didn't take action. He chose to ignore a difficult situation. He didn't want the tension. There was a problem, anxiety, tension. Ah, oh, don't want to deal with it. He ignored it rather than addressing it. And so God says plainly, Eli, your actions have shown me something. Your actions prove that you love your kids more than you love me. You know, that same mistake is being mis still made today. It's still being made today by parents all over our country. Many parents look the other way when their kids are committing all kinds of evil and wickedness and sin. Sometimes they look away even when it's happening under their own roof. And parents do so. Why? Because they just don't want a confrontation. It happens so often when you have teenagers, college students, Maybe they're having illicit sex, they're drinking, they're smoking. They might even be doing some of these things right under the roof of dad and mom. And dad and mom just pretend it's not happening. They just ignore it. They just stand idly by because they don't want confrontation. I can still remember a neighbor that Heather and I lived near when we were first married. And uh, this woman was divorced and she had an older son who was like 19 at the time. The son was still living home, and he was in all kinds of trouble. He was smoking pot, and it would stink up the whole apartment building. Uh, he was drinking. He was sleeping around. He was crashing his car, doing just whatever he wanted to do. And she made no attempts to, to discipline him or talk to him or, or address the problem. And I remember Heather telling me that she had talked to this lady and she was just going on and on about all the problems. And Heather had said, don't you think you need to say something? And she said, well, well, I just don't want to make things any harder for him than they already are. She said, I just don't like confrontation. You know, family, every time I think back to that story, I just shake my head in disbelief. And I can't help but say to myself, what a shame. What a shame. But you know what, friends? The greater shame is when parents claim to be Christians and they act that way. When they claim to be believers and they just want to look the other way when their kids are involved in all kinds of sin and they don't want to confront it. Too many Christian parents choose to keep the peace rather than choosing to obey God. And you know what? The life of Eli is an example of that. Choosing to keep the peace amongst your family, and you choose that instead of choosing to obey God. Family, that is such an awful choice. And if you were to read the rest of 1 Samuel, which we're not going to do, you can see what happens as a result of, of, of Eli's choice. His choice not to rock the boat, what happens? His failure as a priest, his failure to discipline his sons, affected his family. 1 Samuel 3.14 Scripture says Eli's sins would never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. And within just a short time, God's full wrath would be pulled out, poured out on Eli and these sons. All of them would eventually forfeit their lives under the Lord's discipline. Family, four 
fatal flaws. Four fatal flaws in the life of Eli. It cost him his life. It cost him his family. It cost the, li the lives of his sons. Four fatal flaws. Let's not make that same mistake. Well, friends, as we draw to a close this morning, I realize, family, I realize I'm right there with you. I know that being a parent today is, is harder than ever. Our kids are growing up in a world that's swirling with sin, immorality and drunkenness and pornography and pleasure and money, materialism and rebellion and this anti-authoritarian spirit. It's all around us. But listen, listen, dads, listen, moms. Just because it's happening in the world doesn't mean it needs to happen in our homes. Dads, I hope that this story of Eli will serve to us a solemn reminder that God holds us accountable for how we raise our families. God cares, and God sees, and God watches, and God knows. And God holds fathers accountable for how things are going with our families. He made us to be the leaders of our homes. He wants us to be good fathers, godly fathers. We need to make the right choices and bring the right leadership because there are such great repercussions. Repercussions for our own lives, for our families, and for our kids. Parents here this morning, Christian parents, I just want to challenge you, mom, dad alike, Examine your parenting skills in light of these four dreadful mistakes. And may God give you courage, Christian parent. May God give you courage to lead by example. They won't be godly until you are. Lead by example. May God give you the courage to lead so that your children may first of all truly know the Lord and then truly walk in a way that is pleasing Him, and that your whole family would follow after God with an ever-growing obedience. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.